need a woman president. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you two are more fun than going to an all-night dentist. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the most Burt reynolds of films, White Lightning. 1973's White Lightning. And this was something I'm very excited about because this was a film that was chosen by our guest, Mark Pagan of the Other Men podcast. Mark, how are you, sir? I'm good. I am so delighted that I got a few peers to watch this. <laughs> I, it's like, I'm just, it's really nice. I'm, you know, I, I occasionally will send a message to somebody in pre-quarantine and say, hey, I want to go see this movie at Alamo or something. And it's, you know, something from, you know, of the white night, white lightning of, and they'll be like, yeah, maybe I'll do it. But to get two grown men that are roughly <laughs> the same age to sit and watch this within the last few days, it just, that's a highlight of my year. <laughs> and, and excited to do so, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Completely excited to do so. Uh, Mark, uh, you are the uh, host, the writer, the producer of the Other Men Need Help podcast, uh, a podcast that has been there for when I've needed help in the last few months in quarantine. Um, a delightful podcast about the, the, uh, the way in which other men avoid accountability, cling to power, mask insecurities, and quietly scream for connection. Uh, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about that podcast? Yeah. I, we've recently been talking about it and trying to figure out what's the, what, what is, it's that thing we've been doing the show for three years and you go, what is this show that we're doing? What is it? What is it? <laughs> um, I think we, and it's still, it's something that we came to early. It's the, the sort of like the tagline that we've been giving it is it's Sesame Street about men for adults. <laughs> and that is great. <laughs> it's very playful hopefully naked version of um everyday insecurities so it's really it's it's a it's sort of like creating a platform not to not to celebrate what happens after insecurities it's sort of a platform to say like i'm insecure too how can we deal with this and um we it's a narrative it's a storytelling show we sort of highlight the ways men uh, really like highlight the ways that men are being tender. We highlight the ways that men are saying, I did this thing. Isn't it ridiculous? And um, yeah, we're this season. We've been spending times with men and their friends. Like we're trying to figure out like what friendship is in adulthood, which has been really fascinating. And I don't really have a definition for what that is, but that's been our goal. I hope that you interacting with Shahir and I does not skew any data that you have collected for your podcast. Uh, I don't know if I, we 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 are I, Shahir. I'll go out All on, right. on All right, the let's limb. Do, let's let this out. Let's I will it. say that over the course of this podcast and a little bit before, but this podcast has of course solidified it. I would say that we have become very close friends. Very um, close friends. And we don't but also sworn enemies. Well, yeah, but that's like the best kind of friend. Um, <laughs> But also the the fact that like for a long time before COVID, we literally I, and th- I can't say this about any other person that I am friends with. We had a standing commitment for near five years now or whatever it's been for you to come over to my place and for us to talk for an hour. Now, granted, we we designed this system, but we must have designed it for a reason. So and I think we'd, we'd also reached the stage where I was willing to come over in pajamas and flip flops 
um, to hang out at your place. No underwear, by the might I add as well. Uh, pajamas, flip flops, sometimes a tank top. <laughs> Um, ready to just let it all hang out, be at your place. Yeah. Um, I also look after your cat often. which is That fun. is also true. That's true <laughs> friendship. I don't know if there's metrics for that, Mark, but uh, the cat watching, 100%. What has been the sort of emergency hour that you guys have had? Either, either personally or we got to talk about this because... Did you know that they're making, you know, whatever it is, they're making a sequel to. Oh, right. That we had to call it, that we've had like, to, we, we, emergency. Yeah, we got to do this. Like, it is snowing out. Shahir is officially in his boxers coming over. And did you guys have a we, moment like that? We've definitely, it's been, it's been planned, but we've definitely done the Academy Awards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on that proviso. We've been like, okay, let's talk about this as soon as it's done. And, and, you know, have a conversation about the awards, even though it's late at night and neither of us really care about the Academy Awards. Um, then there's been movie releases that have come up uh, very suddenly that we've had to kind of scramble around. I think COVID actually has, has increased the times that we do that. So, for example, when unfortunately RBJ died uh, a couple of weeks ago, we decided to scramble and we found a couple, um, a couple of people that have worked on that documentary brought them in and you know decided to take on that movie and discuss rbj through the movies i think one of the things that's been interesting is talking about the world we live in through the movies we watch is, mm. is kind of yeah being and that's why i'm kind of fascinated to to, to hear about you uh spending your time with uh, with mr reynolds uh <laughs> during quarantine which is what you've been describing but i also i have a secret confession to make which is that, and, and I, Mark, I don't think you know this. Well, you probably do, but I was planning kind of a mandate with you at some point uh, prior to COVID. We, we had talked a little bit about watching Sorcerer together, the William Friedkin film. We did, oh, yeah. my wife was My wife was heading out of town, and, and, I, and I was like, okay, great. This is going to be the time... Mark can come come over. We can hang out. We can have some food. We can watch this movie. You know, we'll, it'll just be that moment where we get to like just spend some t- some more time together. Because you and I worked on a project. Uh, was it two years ago now? I feel it was yeah, like two years yeah, with ago. two years yeah. and a, a two a, two, yes, roughly two, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we we sort of got a, got got to talking about movies at some point. And I, and I realized as we were talking that uh, movies weren't just a passing fascination for you. This was, this was more of a, a, um, um, a much deeper interest uh, for you, if, if I'm correct. And, and as I listen to your podcast, I kind of hear that come out a lot more. It feels like you do discuss movie or at least figures from movies quite a lot in your in your podcast is that is that kind of fair to characterize that that movies means a lot to you they they do first off i'm really i'm flattered and also agree with you because because we did talk about there's this there is this common i don't know what the word is but there is this common bond and i'm sure it happens in other I, I don't know athletics that well. I wish I really do. I, I wish I did. I wish I knew sports. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And there are, other, there are other things I wish I knew better. And I'm sure it happens there. But there is a sort of like a common language that happens. And I at, and at this point in my life, I don't vet anybody. You know, it's like yes. if somebody wants to talk about my best friend's wedding, I'd be like, cool, I'll talk about it. Like, you know, I'm, yeah. I just I'll geek out about movies. But when somebody's like, you know, Friedkin, I'll be like, oh, 
There's sort of like there's that the, like the hairs go up and like we might be able we, there is a deeper thing that might happen here. <laughs> like, like how could like how could we connect on this? Then you you talked about sorcerers like oh my god yeah we we oh my I've never seen it yeah of course we, I, this is and what was funny is that you knew the Clouseau film which I've never but, seen Wages uh, of Fear yeah yeah so that that's, that's how right. I kind of was like oh this is this is a thing I, I do have to say I do have to say Mark uh, do you know who got to play second fiddle when when for whatever reason you couldn't make. <laughs> Going to watch Sorcerer. Well, to be fair, I inter- I brought you over to watch Sorcerer when I- before Mark because this is prior to COVID. But I was planning for Mark to come. Oh, this over. is the second time. I'm sorry. Then maybe yeah, the I'm. See, time, I was insecure, Mark. I thought that he was choosing you over <laughs> I, you me. You thought I replaced you because because Matt did come over to watch Sorcerer at my house. Gotcha. Okay. So now we know the timeline. <laughs> yeah. And my insecurities are on the table. So I think we're in a good spot to talk about Burt Reynolds. Yeah. I well I I'm. I'm so flattered. I, I agree with you, Shahir. I was, and, and that time will come when when things clear up that we can actually be in a indoor space <laughs> together. But I'm, I, very simply, I'm I'm a cinephile, and as well with things like other men, and just generally, I am I'm fascinated by iconography. I'm fascinated, mm. um, especially. This is going to sound very boring and very sober. And hopefully this is the only part of the conversation that will sound like this. But I'm very fascinated by sort of like the way in terms of like gender, like gender as well as like just personal cultural identity, like what what we as viewers project onto the screen. So I'll remove that academic thing, walk away from it right now. And I'm just like, I'm fascinated by by men, too. And like what we what we come to as viewers. I know what I've come, I've sat in seats and with, you know, groups of other moviegoers and like what I've put onto the screen. And then also what I'm doing right now in quarantine. And like, I'm, I'm seeing manifestations of both comfort as well as fear and like what my viewing patterns are. And, and that might have something to do with our discussion today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sorcerer will eventually come. Let's. I'm happy to dig into whatever the fuck we are going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that in mind, I, I just wanted just so that we have a primer on the types of iconography that you have been interested in as a as a film viewer uh, and a, and a person who who loves the cinema. I, I kind of wanted to frame it around other men need help because I think that's looking at, as men looking at other men on screen yeah. uh, is a fascinating exercise and one that I'm kind of living through right now uh, with my son and kind of finding you know what are the the people that he responds to mm. and and you know we're we're you know obviously not new age parents but parents in the new millennium who are trying to um uh disgender our son a little bit in terms of like you know uh, uh, taking away the the traditional forms of gender identity and letting them choose their own path and not being beholden to boys must like, you know, men with guns and lasers and girls must like, you know, yada, yada, yada. Just yeah. Trying to be open about it. Um, but I'm curious as for you, um, what are some of the male role models that you recall looking up to on the Ooh. silver screen that, that, that I guess got your attention? as a young man or as, as uh, growing up loving the cinema? Well, it's, I, I think there's going to be ideally some continuation of other men that'll sort of be that. Cause I'm fascinated by what we all do. And I've, I'm, I think I, I know myself as a movie goer. I think this happens for a lot of movie goers. And I think this happens for a lot of movie going men and especially men of a certain generation 
I think this is, oh God, this might be heavy, but I think there's a lot of fatherless energy that goes yeah. into going and sitting in a movie theater and watching sure. representations of men. And it, you could be, you could have a, a sort of like a nuclear family, a father sort of in the house, so to speak. But um, there is a, I think there's a void that is that, that a lot of men bring to, and a lot of boys bring to movie going experiences is sort of like, what is not there or what I want to be. And, yeah. and some of that is like, I, I, for me, the, I think the earliest feel, the earliest feeling of that was John Travolta. Hmm. Um, and I, it was singing and dancing eventually sometime in early high school. Um, there was a VHS copy of blowout that was given to me. And yeah. there was something so comforting about him in that movie. Um, that even the way he talked, I just found so, so soothing. And what's interesting about our discussion today. Um, so I'm going to frame it a little bit. And I, the time that this time that this happened, I, I didn't really reflect on this. I'm going to reflect it on, reflect on it 20 and 20 something years later. 1997 was really the first time I saw Burt Reynolds. Uh, okay. I was born in 1979. By the time I was an action movie-going kid, it was Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, maybe Chuck Norris, all these things. Burt Reynolds was passe. Mm -hmm. You know, he was yeah. he was my mother's or grandmother's. And even then, my mother was like, that, he's, he wears a wig. Like, I'm, you know, that, <laughs> that guy, he's, he's not, you can't take him seriously. But in 97, there were two films. And, and this goes back to something yeah, you, you asked. And one yeah. of those was Boogie Nights. Of course, of course. And that Jack was, Horner. and that was the really, honestly, besides Evening Nest, uh, which I'd seen some reruns of, that was the first time I'd consumed Burt Reynolds as a screen icon. The other performance that happened that year also appear, and also something very similar in terms of like why I'm looking at Burt Reynolds this year was Robert Forster and Jackie Brown. In Jackie Brown. Both yeah. both supporting actor nominations that year. Yeah. And both very, very, very interesting parallel looks at aging, um, aging versions of like 70s uh, ideals of like uh, masculinity. And I think both of them were, were very similar in terms of like um, uh, their, their characters had a bit of like uh, things are ending for me. You know, things are like right. like Jack Horner was like, yeah, this period is ending for me. I'm I'm aging. Blah blah blah. Um, oh boy, Max Cherry. Max Cherry was yeah, the Jackie Brown. Cherry's Ch bail bonds. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he as well. And he even you know he he. There, there's very like these, these almost beautiful monologues from his character about you know time passing. You have this great ending. Him talking about his physical characteristics, and so you have this like you have these two men sort of making these these beautiful they, they're giving beautiful performances but they're also giving these reflections on on where they're at where their future is as well as their past and now 20 something years later and looking at burt reynolds career that was like it is it is sort of it's max cherry and robert forrester that has sat with me as mm. sort of a model of masculinity uh in that 97 viewing in a way that i've i've come to all of this body of work of, of Burt Reynolds to sort of investigate. I don't know. It's, it hasn't been, it hasn't been conscious. It hasn't been like, I'm not no, sitting, not. sitting there with a notebook yeah. over the last few months, but um, 
Yeah, I, I, Robert Forster in the strangest way. I think like you sort of, I, 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 the question I ask a lot of people is who would, who was on your bedroom wall when you were younger? But I think that that's a continuous question for me because I think there are those markers of like who you wanted to be and who you still want to be. Because now I don't want to be Danny Zuko, but I would like to model myself closer to like a Max Cherry. There's something like a, <laughs> yeah. there's, there, yeah. there's, there's a confidence of like, I'm getting older and I'm going to accept the things that are changing with my body and my situation. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> And both of the, you know, the thing that's interesting, I think, in both of those performances is that they're older men who've clearly lived a life. Yes. Like a, a, yeah. a, a very, you know, they've both been on the other side of the law. You know, mm -hmm. they've both skirted on that side of the law. But they're, in, but they're father figures in both those movies, and they're both incredibly warm personalities. Like, yeah. they're, they're not cold, they're not distanced, they recognize that there are new people coming, and that they will mentor them as best they can. And and there's a there's a warmth to them that I think is very inviting there's a there's another side thing about the father thing too because um growing growing up mine if i had to pick the sort of role model thing bouncing off that question is 100 percent arnold schwarzenegger like that was just mm. the thing but this is going to be the sort of side thing of that my father uh back then was in incredible like uh roofer for his entire life shape right and of course since then uh due to continually roofing uh, his body has taken quite a toll. He has the back of a 98-year-old. Rock and roll, Dad. Uh, but uh, so I kind of got, I feel, and he was a very, um, he was a my my dad's a tough guy for lack of a better term. Uh, all, you mm. know, caring when it counts, but never one to talk about emotions whatsoever. So like from that side, I totally see like, like I don't know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was kind of like the extension of like you know the superhero version of my father, whereas. The emotionally resonant version of what this sort of thing we're talking about is going to be kind of a weird one, and that is Optimus Prime. Did oh, either did either of you the sacrificial father? Well, not only that, but like even if you watch the cartoon, of course he gave away when he was hurt the major leadership to Hot Rod and sacrificed himself to save the Autobots. Whatever, but I I don't still cry when I think of that. Um, the 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 interesting thing though is in the entirety of the Transformers, the original run, I haven't kept up on whatever they're doing now. Everything he did was for the benefit of uh, you know his uh, I, I don't know what they are when they're robots. I'll say family. Um, and like everything mm -hmm. was a move to protect and, and beyond like the machismo of Arnold, like in commando or predator, like, like just like one upping with bravado being like, fucking I'm better than everything. <laughs> Optimus Prime was like, no, there are threats. We're going to take care of it. We're going to get this through this together. So like I had that sort of weird balance. I feel like with the father figure comment that just, it brought it all back. And, and totally. you, they, they, they have all the answers, right? Totally. In one way or another, I would argue that Arnold's characters have answers. They might not be the best answers. <laughs> one here and one yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, that's all the answers you need. Uh, which way? Well, also, I think Arnold played, you know, like Arnold's role has, you know, like in, in several of his films, he is a father figure. You know, like yeah. in Commando, he's a dad trying to retrieve his daughter. Mm -hmm. In Terminator, he's a, 
he's a, a surrogate father for John Connor. In Kindergarten Cop, he's literally a you know a kindergarten teacher who's learning to you know like love kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is some you know there's something about putting the tough guy through that position. And I think what we've both what we've all identified here is that for young men there is the aspiration I want to be this person, and there is the uh, the 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 thing that's missing, which is that I wish this person was in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, which I I think it's it's a really interesting um, reflection. And and Jack Horner or that role in in Boogie Nights, um, that final um, embrace when he accepts uh, Wahlberg back into the family. You know, like he he, he knows that he, you know Wahlberg knows. Um, what, what is the character's name? D- Dirk Diggler. Yeah. Yeah. He knows that he's messed up. He's had that amazing uh, you know that night. Uh, out and he and he's just he's he's almost limp for lack of a better term um and and jack horner accepts him back in you know like even though he has no reason to and i i just yeah i i remember i remember seeing that scene at at the movies and for, for me the thing is so i grew up in fiji and um, we grew up on VHS tapes that were recorded from New Zealand television. Mm. Um, and then the thing about New Zealand television is that New Zealand television was always at least three or four years behind everywhere else. So we got Star Wars a little bit later than everybody else. And so I actually grew up on the Burt Reynolds of Smokey and the Bandit, mm-hmm. Cannibal Run, uh, Rent-A-Cop. I had seen all those movies as a little kid. Um, because I think they were a little bit older than my generation. Mark, you and I are the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, but but those were the films that we would get in around that period. So I actually did grow up watching all of those movies in that period. You know, like when Burt Reynolds... It, it's sort of the, the middle period of Burt Reynolds' life, I would say. Yeah. It's, it's not this early 70s stuff, but it's, the, it's when he's aging. His hairline is kind of a little bit further back. He's a little bit paunchier. Um, but, but, you know, like, and, and he's leaning more on the comedy mm-hmm. than I think, um, than I think, um, say Sean Connery was doing around the same period, even though Sean Connery's a little bit older. Sean Connery, like, eventually evolved into the more serious roles, whereas Bert, I think, kind of skirted mm. more into comedy the older he got. Um, so I, I actually grew up with Burt Reynolds. And, he, and yes, he, I think he was on my mom's list. Um, (laughs) so, so that's always been a little bit awkward for me, but I, I, I do like the, I, I, I like him, but I, I think unlike other actors of his generation who stuck around in the business that long, he never really, you know, other than Boogie Nights had a major serious turn. I know he did this movie, the last movie star, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. a couple of years right before he died, uh, which sort of seemed like, um, not a rehash of Boogie Nights, but, but sort of capturing the same energy, uh, he didn't really have that sort of later years renaissance. I think that many other actors, do, you know, have. He didn't. It's interesting the 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 ninety seven. You the barometer of ninety seven because Forrester. I remember reading maybe it was in like Entertainment Weekly. There was something around ninety six or ninety seven saying Tarantino had cast Forrester, and and Forrester had a quote saying, "Well, I hope." I hope he can do what for me what he did for Travolta. Travolta, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I I don't know if it was if it was um, if it was commentary from actual uh, actual media commentary for his friends, but I remember people mocking that, and and I I had nothing to say. I mean, I knew Forster as sort of like a a, a B movie character actor. There's a few things yeah. I remember the Peacemaker when I was younger and. There were a few other things that I had seen, and I was like, I could kind of place who this guy was. He was 
in problematic role in the Delta Force as a as an Iranian terrorist. And there's a few other things. Yeah. I mean, he was always like he was always memorable. Um, yeah. But then he, he took this role and he actually I think he in some ways he I mean, Travolta is Travolta in Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's a, it's it's like a singular role. It, it's 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 canon. Um Forster did something really interesting with his career there, and it still resonates with me in such a soulful way. But I also think he was able to do something that this might be the wrong parallel, but something that sort of Alec Baldwin has been able to do. Alec Baldwin, of course, was a a much more recognizable star than Robert Forster was, and even in his heights. Um, But... Alec Baldwin was, a, was able to transition to sort of like, sort of like a character actor and uh, actually comedic lead, but actually a char- character actor. And I think Forrester was able to do something really soulful with that performance. I mean, there's like, and not only like that, he was able to work. There was like David Lynch. He did Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Um, what's the Alexander Payne movie he did? The Descendants. Descendants. Yeah. Yeah. And Reynolds. Um, and it's also with this reputation with what happened with Boogie Nights. Um, there, yeah. There's something that, that is recognizable. There's something that I've come to in, in looking at Burt Reynolds' work from the 70s and 80s during this portion of quarantine of like, I don't know if it's right to say this, but like what went wrong? He's he's gone now. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no other work that's going to be made from him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's gone. He's done. And it's been interesting looking looking and seeing especially in that period to see like how hard he was trying to hold on to ego and vanity yeah and that's what's been really fascinating to me i think he's a completely charismatic movie star performer and um from white white lightning is this sort of is this is like this cusp point and um i've spent a lot of time watching the 80s performances to see how somebody who is like what is the grace? Like I'm so fascinated yeah. by 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 human beings' grace, but a little like male, especially men who are given such a a role of like of of icon worship. Like where where is that point in which you're able to give uh, to inhabit or exhibit grace? And he seemed to be struggling with that for such a long time. And I go back to White Lightning as I watch that, and I was like, my God. You were a god. Like, you were yeah. a god to, like, I can see, like, I, I can imagine seeing that on screen. I watch, I'm watching it 40 years later, 50 years later, yeah. and being like, this is, this is a tremendous human being in front of a camera. And, um, and he had like six or eight years of, of being treated that way. And that can be a very difficult thing. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to give him a pass in terms of anything he did with his career or anything personally or politically. But um, yeah, that's why the White Lightning is, has stood to me as one of these White Lightning. There's like White Lightning, and then the movie Heat that he did in 1986, yeah. that are such interesting points in his career where Heat was where he could have he could have really moved into that Forster move of you know what I'm. I'm a strong screen presence. I am. I can carry. I can carry weight because I'm. I'm. I can carry weight not just because I'm a screen presence, but because I'm a damn good actor and I like acting. Yeah, yeah. I like acting, and I'm. I'm in a vulnerable place in my life. And how can I continue that? And he did not. Or he struggled with that. 
so it was well, it was interesting for me to go to to White Lightning because I have a confession, gentlemen. Uh, up until this point, I think with the exception of Boogie Nights, I have never watched a Burt Reynolds film. Mm. Wow. Um, he's always been in the tertiary. He's always his 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 legacy has always been. Um, uh, uh, you know, cast in 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 uh, bronze wherever it may hang, um, and, and and even in, in in media that I engage with today, of uh, the the show Archer, uh, yeah. is is very Burt Reynolds centric. The entire character of Archer, to go back to the father thing again, is literally a segregate, possibly real father figure for the character of Archer. Um, and so this, I was very excited uh, to to visit. I'm like, all right. I've lived with what I believe this to be for a very long time. Now it is time to experience white lightning. <laughs> so, Matt, with that, could you tell us what the, the IMDb synopsis for white lightning oh, is? Oh, I 100% could, because it is short, sweet, and to the point. And XCON teams up with federal agents to help them with breaking up a moonshine ring. Yeah. Uh, and that is what happens in this movie. <laughs> It's funny how this, you know, like thinking about Burt Reynolds and, and the films that I had seen of Burt Reynolds, um, how this plot is interchangeable with so many of his movies. Yeah. Like this is, this is uh, you know, like he is on the other side of the law required to bring back someone on the other side. And I think I've seen, I can't recall which film it was, but I've seen another film where he's, uh, uh, well, it's Cannibal, um, no, Smokey and the Bandit. He's running, he's running liquor and Smokey and the Bandit. Um, and Gator, he so doesn't play, he plays the same character, right? It's the same. It's sequel, a sequel. Yeah. And yeah. And I was going to say this. This is the other interesting thing about um, uh, about Burt Reynolds is that he actually directed a lot of the, the, the later films as well. Um, there, there's an Elmore Leonard adaptation, which I have read and always wanted to adapt. And I didn't realize until uh, looking at his filmography that he had actually done that, which was the uh, the book. The stick. stick. Oh, yeah. my God. I we also need you and I need to talk about that. I, uh, there's so many things that you just said that, that we need to talk about. But continue. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I've well. And, and in terms of that, like, I think that sort of um, I, I you obviously, you know, as you as you both mentioned, Burt Reynolds, the icon has been cemented in history now. And, yeah. and look, uh, the the thing that I think was interesting for me was realizing that deliverance came first. Mm. And, and well, you know, like he did a lot of TV before that. And the, here's just a little interesting side note is the character that um, Leonardo DiCaprio plays on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And there's a scene where they're watching, I think, an episode of Gunsmoke or something along those lines. That is actually Burt Reynolds who played that character in, Gun, in Gunsmoke that Leonardo DiCaprio is playing. And I think um, Burt Reynolds was supposed to be. He was he was actually cast in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, but obviously didn't uh, didn't live to fulfill that. Um, so his his you know the the iconography you know, Burt Reynolds the icon has been cemented. We are all aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled up and I posted on our Twitter feed um, the 1972 Cosmo shoot mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where he appeared nude and very very hirsute, uh, uh in a in a two page spread, which apparently. Uh, was one of the inspirations for the start of Playgirl magazine. Uh, so he was like at the center of male sexuality on screen in a way that I think we hadn't really uh, reckoned with up until that point. And I, and I remember him in the sort of cutoff um, uh, wetsuit and deliverance and remembering, hey, that, that guy doesn't look and feel like men that I mm-hmm. sort of understand on screen. Like I, I understand 
uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I understand um, Sylvester Stallone. I don't quite get this because he's making me feel attracted to him. You know, like he's he's mm-hmm. just a genuinely sexy person. There's an interesting. Mm-hmm. You, share, you shared with me the article, right, about the sexless the sexless uh, superstars. Oh yeah, the the, the sexless males. The sexless and, males. Because uh, if you look at all of the sort of action heroy stuff, even to today, I mean, with I mean, if, I, the the last sort of bastion of of action heroes, I guess, is The Rock. Maybe Jason Statham, if we're going that direction. Um, yeah, and uh, and but, these are men who don't fuck. But that's the thing, yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Stallone, all this stuff. Like they're just like they they might kiss a woman, or there might be a bedroom scene, kind of. But there never was like a truly like sexual energy to them presented. Whereas Burt <laughs> Reynolds. Uh, kind of, I, I think if he was a and d character, he threw all of his stats into uh, charisma in order to get that sexual energy front and center in many of his performances, from what I understand. So, so let's talk about White Lightning for a second, because this is, in the best uses of the word, a sweaty movie. Oh my god, This movie is so sweaty. The most it sweat. Is, it's, it's gloriously sweaty. Yeah, it's funny, like, reading that the the IMDb description and this is meant in no derogatory way but I there's a part of me that's just like there's that description and then it's just like the South it's like yeah. like that's <laughs> the description this, this it's just South. it's just like yeah I mean the second you enter that movie the frame the frame itself you feel like somebody like the PA should just be wiping it off <laughs> it just it feels so humid and then Bert is just He's just undressed like everybody feels yeah. and un, and undressed in a way that like became his sort of image. And then and then of the time. But yeah, there's that there's these those great. There's also like that movie. That movie kills it with with there's like some sunset cinematography. Yeah. And there's there's one scene. I can't remember the 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 woman's name but there's like there's there's the shot of them in the car in the car smoking and the two women yeah, walk yeah. up and he's smoking a cigarette oh, through the sun yeah, yeah, yeah it is just it is like the smoke the most smoldering thing um yeah i it's funny i watched white lightning i actually by accident i didn't even mean to i watched taking of pelham one two three right which i hadn't seen in years 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 yeah. i'd i watched it um sort of back to back with white lightning and did not pay attention to the, to one of the times I was like, who, you know, well, the person that made this, you know? Yeah. And I, I watched them back to back. I was like, these are really well-made movies. Like these, <laughs> these definitely capture, they, they both capture. And they're so interesting looking at the bat and like, in terms of what you said here, in terms of something that's being sweaty and then, and then Pelham one, two, three, something that is not sweaty, but that is of, the location it is mm-hmm. so Palm one, two, three feels so much of its place. And then white lightning feels so much of its fucking place. I've never been to wherever they shot the majority of the movie, but um, I f- yeah. yeah, it is sweaty. I feel like they live there, right? Yeah. There, there's like a scene and it's not just the, the sweatiness of the whole thing. It's the way they're talking, you know, like the, the, what is it's the mumble core? Like it, it's, yeah, it's, it's it, I don't know what it's not mumble core. That's not what it is, but like, I don't know what to call it. My first note in this, in my first thoughts of this movie is everybody fucking mumbles. Yeah. <laughs> no, but in that sort of warm Southern way, that's actually really pleasant to listen it to. It took like, me a second like, to a get on board. Just, 
Like, I couldn't understand. Really? Oh. Like, my brain wasn't registering it correctly. And then about 10 to 15 minutes into speak, like, I think once he left the prison, I was like, oh, I yeah. suddenly have a Babel fish in my ear and I can understand what these people are saying. Oh, no. See, when they got into Bogan County for me and, and they were kind of trying to establish who the sheriff was and, uh, you know, can I do some running for you? And I was like, they're really just going from scene to scene, repeating the same information over and yes. over again in different ways. But I was like... But I'm just enjoying listening sure. to this. Like, there's just this melody to the way that everyone's talking that I'm kind of just liking to be around. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure, like you know, like with the the there are a number of shots of uh, of of poverty-stricken African Americans in this film, and I'm and I'm sure that living in the South wouldn't be as as fun as these guys are making it out to be. But I was kind of like, as a brown person, I was sitting there going, man. I really want to jump in that car and go for a ride. You know, like I really I want to see what this is all about because uh, it looks fun. Oh, it's 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 true. Like it's it's a really interesting. God, there's so many things that jumped off from this movie, and I I haven't I don't have his full body of work. I don't have I don't have Burt Reynolds' full body of work, but there is a um, there's a connection and there's a commitment to southern iconography as well that he that he continued to manifest especially during his directorial there was something he had i know he's a he's a florida guy he's a a guy i can't remember what region of florida he he grew up in um but there there is there's a romanticism to this movie that that uh, that gave him such a legacy especially for for the next six years and yeah the same thing the thing that's Going to what you just said, here the thing I am, I am, I I'm not somebody that that my family's not from the South. Um, I I did not grow up in the South, and I've been investigating. There's there's things that I'll always look and sort of investigate, um, having always like some degree of feeling outside of either yeah. either levels of masculinity or levels of like homogenous uh, North American culture. And I am a, I am a, I consider myself a short brown person. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm mixed culture and I come to watching Burt Reynolds and I have to admit this, coming to watching him now in quarantine, there's a part of coming to watch him as sort of, there is a bodyguard element of, of watching this. Uh, I would like to come to the South and have somebody <laughs> who could, be my friend like Burt Reynolds because he seems and, like he would be able to like I don't know how I honestly don't know like I've never lived in the South in a full time manner I don't know how comfortable and that's unfortunate because I'm like there's tons of people that look like me who live in the South but anyway there's yeah. there's something coming to to him like talking this relationship with a viewer and masculinity like there's something of looking at Burt Reynolds and I'm investigating of like what he gave to to cinema goers, especially with like white fucking lightning, this movie that came in, that and Deliverance, this one-two punch. You just mentioned the vest, like what that gave to boys, and yeah. in the early seventies of like again that carried him for you know however many years. I'm, think, I'm fascinated think, by it. Well, I think also what this movie does. Um, I recently watched Mad Max for the first time the uh, the original the 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 first Mad Max film, and one thing that I had sort of forgotten about, or or I, I don't know I, I'm sure there are cases of this today, but I feel like this was something that was very prevalent in the 70s, especially 
you know, especially around Mel Gibson or especially around Burt Reynolds, is thinking about the movie star entrance and and the way in which a movie, you know, when when a movie really knows where its money is being spent. And this movie, you know, like the first scene we see of Burt Reynolds is in prison with his shirt off, you know, like working, uh, working at something. And then they take him out to the yard uh, or he tries his first escape. He doesn't quite make it and he gets put on the chain gang again. And I was just, I was, and, and the sort of similar thing happens in, in Mad Max, which is that the movie keeps the character at a distance until we really need to see him. Mm-hmm. And then when we really see him, it's just a focus on his eyes. It's this focus on this face. And it's this kind of movie star placement in a movie is really about ob- observation from the filmmaker's point of view. It's really like, look at the, like he doesn't need to do a hell of a lot. He just needs to be, and we need to observe him. And there's something about Burt Reynolds, the performer, that I think has that quality, which I think most movie stars do. And I think, you know, um, Robert Forrester, certainly, and Jackie Brown has that quality as well, which is the, he can just be staring at nothing, mm-hmm. and we can hold on this for five minutes, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's I'm, I'm interested in what's going on in his head. And there's a sort of... Um, there's, this film has this sort of thing, which is that um, Gaynor McCluskey is kind of... I, I'm not sure... His driving is clearly what people respond to, but other than that, he, all of his plans seem really ham-fisted, and many of them don't work. Yeah. And I was like, in the hands of a performer that leant more into the the sort of comedy of it and not the sort of reptilian-like sexuality of it all... He, it 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 could feel like a buffoon, you know, like he's just a sort of like buffoonish character. But but the way Reynolds plays him, it's very like even his failures are interesting to watch. Like I, I don't understand what a lot of his thinking is. Like he tries to seduce the uh, the sheriff's secretary at some point, and it just goes nowhere. Yeah. And you know, like, <laughs> I was like, what was that about? <laughs> like his plan to break out of prison the first time around was just literally, I'm just going to punch this guy and, and run. run. <laughs> and then, like it was like, what, what was can that we about? talk about the seducing of the secretary for a second? Because it literally goes nowhere. There's not a ton in this movie that goes nowhere as hard as that. <laughs> one does it's a good 15 minutes of like a nice conversation and then a meal and then a little bit of a courtship over the evening and then they go back to the place and then she thinks he's trying to get like parking tickets or something and like she slaps him and rejects him and that's but like it's like 10 to 15 minutes it's like long and then I was like, oh, yeah. this is going to come back. I was like, this yeah. is really going to swing into yeah. play somewhere. Because we've also set him up at this point to be like, like there's that scene where he drives into town, not into Bog- uh, Bogan County, but he drives into town. And those two women yeah. like immediately like come to his car and they're just giggling and they're just, they're, they don't know what to do. The, you know, like it is literally like a movie star has rolled into yeah. town. Um, so they've set him up to be this like. You know, uh, Lothario, you know, uh, Supreme, and and then it just he just kind of misses it up, and he's like bumbling around, and but it's still, I was like, man, he's still pretty. I hot. felt like yeah. I felt like that was a part of the movie that like maybe had a plot point that eventually got lost in editing, and he also probably didn't want to lose a scene where he was even failing to try to seduce a woman like i have no idea why that was there like it just made no sense to me well i mean you know not to get into it but i I think there's a quality to this movie that has that sort of like 
I, I don't, but it's not intentional. But it has that sort of link, Richard Linklater kind of meandering yeah. to it. That that's like, but you know, with Richard Linklater, it's clearly part of what he's doing. But in this film, it's like it's just, you know, like like Ned Beatty's reason for killing uh, Gator's brother in, in the end turns out to be just like, well, he was you know just some guy who annoyed me, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. and, and in a brutal <laughs> it wasn't way. some grand plan <laughs> when this with moonshine or anything. When this movie <laughs> opens and even before you see Burt Reynolds and you see the two canoes, I was like, oh, what's going on? Two people hostage, whatever, da da da. And then they just, like, with two men tied up in a canoe, they shoot the other canoe just so they drowned in a swamp. And I was like, this movie got real, real very quickly. <laughs> and then I went, like, it it was, a, it was a really good start to a film because I didn't quite know what to expect. And eventually, once Bert's through it and you're in it, you're like, okay, now I'm, I'm understanding this. But it starts in quite a, uh, uh, I, would, I would pause it to say a hardcore way. <laughs> With just drowning in a, in a in a in a southern swamp, yeah, I'm the pacing as well as the very quick drama of seventies action mm-hmm. is still startling to me. Um, I watched so beyond this this Burt Reynolds period during quarantine. I think it's just there's in general 60s and 70s um i'm trying to think of the right label for it uh just pulpy material that Mm -hmm. i've been watching so i watched charlie varick for the first time um i watched uh the outfit with um with uh um jodan baker and um robert duvall okay and and there's a few others. I watched them in succession. So, and then White Lightning was one of them. I watched Taking a Poem One, Two, Three, which I I'd consider a pulp movie, like a pulpy movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a paperback. It feels it just feels like you know a paperback yeah. you'd read on appropriately on the subway. And just the introduction of like crazy dramatic violence or 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 just stakes. Mm-hmm. Just stakes, yeah. but but done in a way, but it's done in a way that was shot by it's almost like um Werner Herzog or like not <laughs> Werner Herzog, it's almost like a documentarian style of shooting this stuff back in the 70s. Um I don't know, there there's so, almost like the plas- placidness sure. of it. Yeah. Yet it's so it's so guttural and Yeah, I'm I'm really struck by Again, going to Joseph Sargent and watching these two movies back to back without knowing that, without recognizing they're the same director. But I love how languid this movie becomes. Mm. It just it's just the molasses of it. <laughs> and yeah. as well the the reasoning and 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 almost like it's almost like developing for Burt Reynolds. It's almost like developing. This languid <laughs> pace of a celebrity and a celebrity that can just glide. He can just glide. And the, the unfortunate thing is I, I think he I think he does that beautifully and terribly for the rest of his career. But it was here that it's so wonderfully demonstrated. And I and 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 uh, you know, deliverance is so quickly I can't remember the timeline. But you know, with the within the same like, you know, two year sphere. Uh, time frame and there's just this like this languid energy which you i 
who's getting away with that? Like who's being, and it's, it's so wonderful that, that a star is able to develop that, but I'm not sure where that happens now. And I, I think he, he, I don't think he treated, I, I, I think he understood that he understood that star status. I don't think he did it in the right way. There's something that Peter Fonda did in his later career that was wonderful. Yeah. There are things that um, even Dennis Hopper did with his energy. He understood Dennis Hopper understood his energy. He used it in a very interesting way um, in, in character roles as he continued. And Burt Reynolds just he that languid energy became like quicksand for him. That he occasionally oh. would sort of like get his his head above. But then it would like it would, it would it would get lower and and his contemporaries like the Fondas, the Dennis Hoppers, um, Clint Eastwood never became anybody else besides Clint Eastwood. But yeah. Clint Eastwood also created a directorial debut that didn't rely on his, yeah, um, on on his Clint Eastwoodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- I, always, I I do think of Burt Reynolds and and Sean Connery being on parallel, you know, obviously slightly different timelines, mm-hmm. but on parallel paths. But where Sean Connery was able to kind of pick up with um, Hunt for the, you know, he 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 worked into his age, or you know, he found the grace in his age much much better than Burt Reynolds did. Yeah, like, you know, like when you think of Hunt for the Red October, The Untouchables, you know. Um, even Highlander, for example, you mm-hmm. know, like that later stage of Connery was was like we we did forget about James Bond. I don't think we ever forgot about Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds. I, d- I don't think he ever outran outran the Bandit. Well, he no. was the Bandit. I forget yeah. who was who. Um, and but then you know I was reading some uh, excerpts from his biography, and you know they they talked about um, roles that he turned down. That he kind of regretted, you know. They, he he at one point he was up for the role of James Bond and 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 didn't quite get it. He was up for the role of Han Solo. He was up for the role of Michael Corleone, Rocky Balboa, um, and the um, and uh, Richard Gere's character in Pretty Woman. And you know these were these were roles that became iconic, and he missed out on them. Um, but at the same time, he was you know for a period of five or six years, he was the number one box office star on the planet. You know, he was the Tom Cruise equivalent of our time today. And so while, you know, uh, you could sort of look at those decisions to be somewhat mournful and and certainly in a film like Boogie Nights, you you sort of you look at a man who's reflecting on his past in this sort of slightly regretful way Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, chasing the chasing the idea that he should have done something more. And but I I don't think that was the case with Burt Reynolds. I think I think he was a. I think he was a happy misanthrope, you know, like he was a happy, uh, a happy, successful film, you know, guy. And, and his legacy is made up of these gems that, you know, why aren't going to, you know, um, aside from maybe Deliverance and Boogie Nights, aren't really going to uh, touch upon cinema in the same way. But they're but they're there and they, they made an impression. He was the leading man and he owned those roles. And there's an energy to him that I think is is palatable. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's this, I guess maybe what's interesting and in, in what you're talking about, Mark, is that you're looking at this sort of, um, moment in time that could be lost, but I don't know if, it, you know, like, you know, it feels like it could is easily slip away. I don't know how many of our listeners will know who Burt Reynolds is outside of, um, outside of Archer. <laughs> it's true. I think, well, I he died in 2018 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
I, when he died, I just like anybody, any major, major celebrity death, major public figure, I thought I, I should, I should look back. I should look at, at yep. this person's work. And it's only been mostly recently. And there's something I know I am mournfully bringing to, besides the fact that this person is dead, but there's something there's I'm mournfully bringing to these viewings where I don't bring to Robert Forster's later, later work. Mm. And, and you might be right. Burt Reynolds might be a person that was just, he was fine with what his output was. Yeah. I am... I think there is what the projection at this point in my life is I am hoping that I will be aging gracefully. Let's 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 just say that like that is a bit of the capsule here Um, (laughs) because I I see I did not I did not have a I, I personally, you know, at this point in my life, I don't know what my peak if I've reached a peak area. I don't know if what that is. I was not a football star. I don't have sort of like these these things where, where I can see. To me, White Lightning is a moment as a as if I were a figure like Burt Reynolds, it is a moment where I see like that's a football star. Like that is this is a varsity level thing that's happening there. And the level of like self-consciousness to be okay with what happened, you know, that is that is a peak that you may reach. There may be similar plateaus that you that you reach. And the ways that you can use that. I guess in a graceful way, I'm, I'm white lightning. I, I, there's, I've gone through a bunch of the seventies material. It's the eighties material. That's fascinated. It's fascinated me so much because there seems to be such a fight that I see he's having, especially some of the, mm. the material that he directed to hold on to, you know, I, I I do see it as like almost a varsity star leaving high school yeah. and continuing to make making, I don't know, varsity videos, like videos <laughs> as an old man, like him holding a football. Um, and I. And, you know, I, I, I I'm looking, especially during this period right now where we're all. I, I, this is going to get deep maybe in a way that I, I didn't expect it to, but this period in which we're all, we're all reflective. We are all, um, you know, there's a lot of fear going on. We are all uh, wondering about our bodies, uh, you know, COVID and all that. I'm, I'm, I've, I've watched some Van Damme movies. I watched movies from my youth, blah, blah. And, and, and I've been consuming these Burt Reynolds movies in a way of like trying to identify like, what was what was his problem with getting older you know yeah. and what was his problem with the natural stages of getting older and how can i use that to learn ways to recognize mm-hmm. you know the the like the narrative of myself that i should step away from and He's also the same time. I see something that he did when he was, you know, like I watched Rent a Cop last week. Yeah, which is a, it's not a terrible movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's a interesting, not train wreck, but it is an interesting, uh, 
Okay, it's an interesting train wreck. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting. It's, 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 it's okay yeah, to enjoy I, train wreck. I watched that movie on VHS in Fiji, and I think I recognized at that point that it was like, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and even then, I see this guy. You know, he's he's very very obviously too paid. He's very obviously mm-hmm. reaching. You know, he's in his fifties at that point. All that stuff and. I'm saying everything that I'm saying to you, but I, and then at the same time, I'm like, there's that part of me that's, that's still that's still going. Yeah, Bert, hold on to it. It's like, <laughs> he's 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 he is, you know, these these people like there's there's that uh, there's there's people that just pop on screen, and that is the other side of this um, that he understood about himself. So I don't know, White Lightning, I'm. I'm really fascinated by this movie. I think number one, it's like it's just a, a supremely entertaining movie. I think it it started, um, it started or continued um, that interesting subculture or, or subgenre in the '70s of whatever exploitation, which you know, let somebody else say whether or not that's the right label for it. But um, I think it's a really fascinating, fun, beautiful genre. I think it's super pulpy, and I I think it's a it's the the real point where we can look at like what he held on to because i would i would try to hold on to that as a yeah. as a as an identity i mean he he's the reason why this movie is interesting i mean i'm not saying that yeah. it's not made well for the time in which it was made and that there's not sort of some 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 good some good under the hood sort of stuff going for this yeah. film um but i mean i i recognized right away like there was no scene past the initial again canoe thing without him in it that I ever gave a shit about, like yeah. in this movie, uh, and it's something to it's it's to his credit that he can elevate screen time in that way. Like again, there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing bad from a technical aspect of like the acting or the way the story is portrayed or like anything like that, but there's also nothing extraordinary or memorable except for me at least burt reynolds like there's something that he does with this material that elevates it beyond what i would consider like uh mark we were when we were dealing with some technical problems we were chatting a little bit before we were talking a little bit about sort of like this this series of like i don't any genre like pulp or b sort of cinema of this time and there's tons of there's tons of films that are like kind of just like this that mm-hmm. do not sing the way that this film sings and it's not, and I don't think it's the actual film I think it's what Burt Reynolds brings to this thing um like I'll remember watching this even the parts that didn't connect with me because the overall package was interesting enough due to the extra I was going to say curricular sure spice that Burt Reynolds Burt Reynolds brings to this to this mm-hmm. character that is just like it's 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 every character in this in this style of movie, right? Like there's nothing. Uh, what's his, Gator McCloy? Uh, Gator McCluskey. McCluskey. Thank McCluskey. you. There's nothing other than Burt Reynolds that is special about Gator McCluskey. Like, and that's really kind of fun to see. Granted. The film itself, I, I do feel like, especially for uh, we, we've been singing the praises of Burt Reynolds and singing the praises of this film. I will say, it is a mo- movie of its time. Uh, there is uh, some 
quite a bit of questionable things, whether or not it's it's uh, the the harsh judgments of, of other people or the multiple sexual assaults. Um, but there, you know, so the mileage may vary depending on uh, how how much you can sort of uh, look at problematic material now that was shot then. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently Zoe agrees. I don't know if you can hear my cat. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, much like Shahir and Mark, you've been saying, there's, he just, <laughs> Burt Reynolds, whether you, whether you love him or hate him, uh, you have to admit that the man can take material that would otherwise be, eh, and, like, just make it sing based on that jacked charisma stat. Like, it's, it's insane. And I, I, after watching it for the first time, after watching this for the first time, and, and my really first, like, foray into into Reynolds them uh, outside of Ryan of course no relation um <laughs> it's it's now easier for me to see like why I knew of the myth before <laughs> I actually saw the reasons why that myth exists you know mm-hmm. yeah i you know i i think i'm a little bit more forgiving of the film because i think one of the things that's really hard to do it's something you mentioned mark is is to be of a place and i think this film is really of a place and it captures the essence of whether it's the south whether is it arkansas that they're arkansas, in arkansas yes uh, yeah we, and i don't i don't know exactly what it was like to be in Arkansas in 1973, but it really does feel like they embedded themselves and this is the film that was produced. Like It felt a little, I, it, it felt it, a little cartoony version of it, though, didn't it? Like, I, again, I felt... Maybe, I felt, maybe that's my but naivete I about it. I've never been either, so I can't say either. But when I, <laughs> I felt like it was like an elevated, again, sort of pulpy version of like, of like, yeehaw! Like, that's what this place well, is like, me, which is fine to live in. Let me in. put it this way, I... I feel like like the 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 first car chase when he gets uh, when he um, is I think he's running interference for the other yeah he's a blocker uh, he's blocking yeah he's a blocker and then he jumps off uh, yes. off a he jumps off, off the, the edge of a river onto onto a ferry or something and like that and he barely makes it and I don't know if the stunt didn't barely make makes it, it or if that was the and plan. you watch that and 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 as a filmmaker I'm watching that with my mouth agape going. Wait, did he? Did they plan for it to kind of hit at that angle, mm. or was that an accident? Or you know, like, and it feels like that's the kind of energy that is created by making a film on site in a place where they don't care about whether they sure. make the jump yeah. or but not, also, you know, like, or they're not as it also solidifies concerned about the, the cartooniness of it because the cop just sits there and scratches his head like he couldn't figure out where the boat's going. Like I was just like, <laughs> yeah, but but he also he also kind of like accepts the accepts the fact yeah. that that Gator, you know, was the guy who would jump over at that point, and he was like, well, I'll be damned. That's the and, guy. And he was yeah. and I and and I, I think we got a clock you know, out. Uh, <laughs> he was like, "Well, that's that. <laughs> my ship, the the my my county line ends here, yeah. and I cannot I cannot cross this line." He's like Sam in Lord of the Rings. I cannot go no further. Like, get on a radio. <laughs> that boat's going somewhere. Um, but I but I think I think there is like an actual, you know, and it is the sweatiness of it all. Like, I really do come back to the sweatiness of the whole movie. It's like there's an energy captured here that is like palpable, and it's like. It's 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 enjoyable to watch. It's I I do kind of, you know, like I'm sort of I felt like I'm watching um, either a time capsule or a, or a piece of a moment that that I don't think can be captured ever again. Um, 
you know, I, I think about that, uh, the Matthew McConaughey film, Mud, um, which sort mm-hmm. of has that same sort of like Southern energy uh-huh. to it where you're just like, this is that world and I don't, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm sort of enjoying just being here regardless of what the story is. So, by the way, uh, fun little fact. Do you guys know who was actually originally slated to direct this movie but turned it down at the last second? No. Uh, a young impresario by the name of Steven Spielberg uh, actually worked <laughs> on this movie for about two or three months, scouted locations, wow. was on set, um, running this thing, and then decided that he wanted to do something a little bit more personal uh, and ended up directing the Sugarland Express instead, but was signed on to this movie. Wow. And I, could you imagine the the Steven Spielberg version of this movie? I don't know what that looks like. I, I just I, I can't quite picture it. I could. I, I actually don't think it would be that different. I think, and I don't know Joseph Sargent's work all that broadly. Um, I, he did. Besides, he did some. Um, uh, he did. He directed Jaws Revenge, which is an interesting right. Spielberg tie-in, and he also yeah. did some Star Trek original series. So. Yeah. I I mean, he feels like a journeyman. Yeah. I mean, there was, what was, um, when did Duel and uh, Sugarland Express come out? Roughly same time, right? Roughly the same time. I think 72 was Duel as well. So just the year before, which might have been how he got onto, or how they found Mm -hmm. him. I feel like, yeah, I I love that. I I love the fan fiction thing that's (laughs) happening in my brain with that now. Um, Maybe a little tighter. Maybe maybe yes. some of the languid energy. I think we would have lost some of the some of the like idiosyncrasies. Yeah, we would have but, either yeah. lost the secretary or learned exactly why that secretary was being seduced. <laughs> uh, but I will say of Joseph Sargent, what I was really impressed with was the car the the car play in oh, this. Yeah. You know, like the actual mechanics yeah. of a car chase were really well worked out, and like every turn seemed to be accounted for mm-hmm. and every every sort of like this is this you know this is uh, i have the upper hand no i have the upper hand you know like it was really well considered and i've you know i've watched movies from this period where you can see they're just really just yeah. slamming together what they got actually mm-hmm. i'd and like this to was yeah on that note i'll take back a little bit of my like everything is average but burt reynolds i will say that the the mechanics of the cars driving and the way that they are shot makes it both visceral exciting and clear what exactly is going on uh, and in a lot of this genre, that is not the case. So a hundred percent here. Yeah. And it's really, it's very challenging to do, yeah. but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's done very, very well here. Um, I will say, yeah. And then Ned Beatty, like, I think the storyline around Ned Beatty and his like, and, and there's this sort of undercurrent in this film of like, um, impending hippie culture. Yes. I think there's this sort of like, you know, like. Uh, if we legalize marijuana, we're going to ruin moonshine. And I was like, what is It's like, are you just happening? saying that weed's what, you know, better? Like, like, what's the... <laughs> and then Ned Beatty has this sort of like whole diatribe about the fact that his policemen aren't being paid enough. And that's why he runs moonshine. But then he doesn't want communism to come, you know, like socialism to come yeah. into town. Yeah. It's almost like uh, 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 the villain of this film politically is a hypocrite. <laughs> of course. But it's it's sort of like just this weird... You know, like when you think about, um, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where there's sort of like the the impending threat of the long-haired hippies and the the Mansons and all that sort of thing. It's sort of this movie has that undercurrent of like, this is this is our way of life, and it's established, and we know what it is, and 
and change and college and universities and people thinking for themselves and marijuana and all that stuff is going to up in the way, you know, the Southern way of life. And I think it, it like I say, I, I, I genuinely was taken by a, just how watchable this movie sure. is, but also just like the, there, there's, there's something to it, you know, like the, 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 the languidness of it, the, the sort of the drawn out quality of it. There's something to it. There's, there's a sort of, there's a essence to it that feels real and that feels earned. And, and I, and I was just enjoying being in it and, and kind of, yeah, like I felt like I was in a time capsule that, that actually was worth watching, you know, like I've, I've watched movies from this period where it's, you know, you can feel like there's a lot of, you know, it, it's people figuring out how to make a film for the first time. And mm-hmm. this was not that this, this, this had like this quality to it that I really enjoyed. Yeah, the, so you know, Mark, thank you for you know letting us. Yeah, watch thanks, it and, Mark. Uh, invite and uh, immediately after watching it, I was like, I kind of want to get Gator the, the sequel and watch the sequel right away. <laughs> you should. I, it's fascinating to put these two together. It is fascinating. Um, it is. Um, they're not connected in a lot of ways. That you <laughs> it doesn't seem like much carries yeah, over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There is. Are you saying Lou doesn't come back? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Burt Reynolds does play an outlaw. Outlaw. Okay. Named Gator. Good. And it's shot in the South. Okay. All right. That's (laughs) all we need. And directed by Burt Reynolds now. And I hear it's a lot funnier. It's well. It's it's interesting. Um, I can't remember the timeline. Four or five years, six years, between Mm -hmm. the two of them. And whatever happened in his career at that point, there was there's there's like a meta energy that comes into it. Mm. Um, it's such a different version of Burt Reynolds' performance. That's the other thing that I think there's that there is that line in the sand that happened after yep. White Lightning, where you know the audiences he went with some with with an audience choice of who Burt Reynolds should be on screen, and there was something still very very dangerous about Burt Reynolds and White Lightning. There's something very yeah. like it's just very raw and um he is uh very much he becomes a winky sort of performer. And I th- I think he's he's tremendous. He does he did that Bogdanovich movie in mm. 76 or 77 maybe 75 at Long Last Love. Okay. which was which was torn apart it's it's like it's the musical he did with uh simple shepherd and he's singing and dancing um and i actually think the white lightning and and at long last love are really i think they like the microscopes we should put on his his career in the 70s in which like things could have gone in a very interesting direction for him as a as a male lead performer it as well is a, a little bit winky but it uses his how physical he is on screen it uses um a degree of sort of like danger uses a degree of like vulnerability and that's a bit lost um once audiences once he went with what audiences chose and and gator showcases that quite a bit um although it's like the stunts are fucking insane they are insane (laughs) um and there's there's something else that happened with Burt Reynolds as a director that I've now seen with all this time ingesting and watching everything during quarantine that him and then other directors did. He 
contractually or not, there is a decision. There has to be a, a love story within any Burt Reynolds movie. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the credit sequences that he chose. And she here, I can't wait for you to watch Stick. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll eventually have to have an Elmore Leonard conversation because I think that's another yeah. thing you and I have to talk about. I want to. I also want you to see it because of how it was adapted. It is a very interesting movie. I think you should really watch it. Um, I think uh, Gator, Stick, there's a few others of like, this is how there's, there is a sort of the way Mel Gibson um, as a director and the way Mel Gibson sort of modeled sort of his version of like, I'm, I'm going to be, there's a martyrdom sure, that, yeah. that, that I'm going to produce on screen for myself and for my, and for characters. There's something of like martyrdom of romance or the romantic that Burt Reynolds has decided to do that shows up in Gator and then beyond that. And it shows up, especially in the credits. And I've seen it a number of times in his movies. It's fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm imagining like a sick scene or, or a makeout <laughs> scene at the end of the credits while the credits are rolling. But, uh, but I'm not sure if that's it. <laughs> just, Really, I really bad it. saxophone. Let's just, I'll just I'll throw <laughs> that out there. But it's, yeah, um, the the two that I would, I would have, I would love to do a college course of like the credits, the end credits of Stick and the end credits of Gator. I just, uh, <laughs> I have a lot to say. One last question before we go out on this. Is there an actor working today that you think kind of captures the Burt energy of White Lightning or the early 70s with that slightly dangerous quality to him? I, you know, I, it literally, somebody just came to mind and I've, I've thought about it. I, this is very, very honest. You asking this just came to mind without even thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. My first impulse is saying Tom Hardy. Um, yep. 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 And I think, I think, I'm, I, I think in terms of like how I come to Tom Hardy, I'm not, um, I'm not a young man. Like I, I imagine young men watching and boys watching Burt Reynolds when he was, uh, sort of when he was at his peak. And even when Tom Hardy, like I'm, I was still watching his movies and am watching his movies as an adult, but there's still that like, I still am bringing, there's a level of projection and that energy doesn't even have to be Bronson. doesn't even have to be. Yeah, I was going to say Bronson. Bane, it's like, it's like everything he's just, he's, his output is, or even Mad Max, like anything I'm watching of his, there's that, there's that energy. I also think he's, he's just handled his career much more interestingly than Reynolds has. But um, that's the first person that comes to mind. How about for you guys? I'm not sure it's exactly the same way, but I, I, I mean, I recall, and I think this is a person who is aging gracefully through his career right now, but I recall, when I watched um, White Lightning, the, the person I thought of was Antonio Banderas in Desperado. Mm. And I thought a lot about that energy that he brought to the screen where it was dangerous, it was seductive, but it was also charming and engaging and friendly and you felt like you could be around this person and i and i felt like banderas kind of played that quality throughout his career and has aged into like uh, he's actually you know um i think with that last almodova film and then i saw him in um 
that film that was really reviled. I, I can't remember what it was called. It was, a, uh, it was the by the guy who did Crazy Stupid Love, um, but it was a film that was was really you know it got terrible terrible reviews. Um, but but Antonio Banderas in that is magnificent. Mm. Like he was he was just in this movie that's like. Uh, you know, um, I, I think it was one of the few films that got an F on Cinema Score or something along those lines. It was like really reviled, and uh, Oscar Isaac's is in it as well, and Olivia Wilde. I really have gone blank on hmm. the name. I'm gonna, I'm gonna search it while we're talking. Antonio Banderas um, is a good answer for that, though not a current. Like, I mean, he's still acting, of course. He's but slightly older, yeah. Because, but like, the energy the other is similar. That came to mind was the other person that came to mind was Oscar Isaac's, but 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 I think Oscar Isaac is more Pacino than Burt mm, Reynolds. Yeah. You know? I don't know if there is one uh, today, to be honest. I th- the movie I was thinking of was Life Itself, by oh, the way. okay. Like, <sighs> it, it, it feels like leading leading <laughs> men today are a little bit safer than they've ever been. Um, I have people I'd want to, to go this way, but I don't think have yet, but I think would be very interesting if they did, one of which being Henry Cavill. Like, I do not <laughs> think he is doing what Burt Reynolds is doing, but could you imagine if it's, he started? Well, he's just yeah. got... It's yeah. just, it's, his yeah. career is just much more calculated. Exactly, right? that's like what I'm saying. Just, like, it, it feels much more yeah, yeah. I, like a calculation. I think Tom Hardy's probably the closest because, because mm. like, from a career standpoint and from a, from a, from a frenetic energy standpoint, um, and Banderas with sort of, like, a smoldering type thing. I mean... I mean Fuck. <laughs> I used to watch everything that Antonio Banderas is in. I still will go to bat for the ridiculous film Assassins, solely based on Antonio Banderas's performance of Miguel Bane. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if there's actually truly... Uh, uh, I, I'll say this. like An actor the same sort of age that Burt Reynolds was when he made White Lightning, having the same Burt Reynolds energy right now, I don't know if I could actually name one. Um, and that maybe that's what makes him iconic. Maybe there was only one Burt Reynolds. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody, this has been the only podcast about the film White Lightning. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on and uh, and and being the gateway to my first uh, Reynolds uh episode, if you will. <laughs> I am very honored. Um, thank you, guys. Where uh, can folks find you on the interwebs? Come find me uh, on Twitter at the Mark Pagan. I am more fun on Instagram, which is very easily Mark Pagan. Um, <laughs> other men need help. Wherever you listen to podcasts, that's 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 the place. Man. I've been I've been trucking through the back catalog. It is an absolutely uh, wonderful uh, wonderful podcast. I'm new I'm newer to it than Shahir is, but uh, I've been I I, I, I I I popped one the other day, and then I have not stopped really since then. It's taken over my my podcast time. So uh, please, everyone, go check it out. Uh, it is uh, a fascinating look at how I, I i don't know if this is correct but like how men men and maybe how men should men a little bit more or less while they men i don't know how to even break it down it's just a, it's it's a fascinating look at things that i should have been thinking about more often than i did and uh no i'm enjoying it very much by by the way i i can't remember the guy at the airport's name but was it flavia is that the in the Fabian? airport episode Fabian, I was like, "Fuck Fabian, <laughs> fuck that guy so much, fuck him." <laughs> uh, you'll have to listen to the episode. But when I was, I was literally oh, I walking down that. the street. I love that, and I was very angry at Fabian for 
for not being who you thought he would be at the airport. <laughs> or being late at the airport, what should I say? Uh, I appreciate that. Shahir, when you are not running moonshine under the nose of the very racist and communist hippie-hating law, where can folks find you? You can find me uh, sipping moonshine on my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Before I jump, throw it over to Matt, uh, I want to thank listeners who have been sending us in their voter registration, their proof of voter registration, so that we will review something of theirs. Uh, We didn't get to that today, but we will definitely do that. And we encourage everyone who is listening to please check your voter registration and and make every plan to vote um, that is safe for you and your family. Um, you can reach us at onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod or, uh, more importantly, go to vote.gov. Matt, when you are stripped shirtless working on the chain gang, where can people find you? You can find me not only uh, getting upset when you find out my brother's been killed, but also deciding that punching a cop and running away from prison that eventually goes nowhere was the best course of action at my website, M-A-T-T-A-G-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works, the uh, skeletal the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. By the time this drops, I believe we will be halfway through our Cleopatra series over on Extra History, and we will just have had our, um, our game jam. We had a game jam back in August with over 500... Uh, uh, um, participants and we we picked a f- couple of our favorites and we did sort of a, a showcase and uh, it's quite lovely over there so check that out on YouTube. You know what game you guys should be making? What's that? An adaptation of White, White Lightning. Lightning. I mean that might be the theme That's next the time one. we do it. This time was yeah. Take Care. They just gave them that phrase yeah. and they could do whatever they want with it. But I think yeah. next time it will be White Lightning and we'll see yep. what everyone comes back with. Um, anyway, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, I think Shahir covered all the pertinent points. Mark, thank you so much again. Thank you, guys. This is fun. And we'll talk to y'all next week. Maybe with more Burt Reynolds movies. That's, that's what this podcast is going to become. It's going to be the Burt Reynolds Hour <laughs> <Please>. every week. <laughs> Please. <laughs> talk to you later, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.